John chapter 8 this morning. And in John chapter 8, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote to the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And, and God, we have been singing songs of praise unto thee and to thy son. God, when we read about Christ in the Bible, how can we not want to glorify his name? How can we not want to sing about what a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord? How can we not want to sing about the compassion, about the righteousness, the holiness of of Christ. Father, thank you for sending your Son to be our Savior. And Lord, because you have completed your work of salvation for us through him, dear God, I, I ask for the filling of your Spirit uh, to minister the word to your church this morning. Fill my dear wife with your Spirit also. And 
Help her relaying the message and sign. Be with those in the nursery watching the children. Fill with thy spirit, Lord. And I thank you for your word that's already gone forth to the children and the adults during the Sunday school hour. And how blessed it is to learn from your word and have your spirit teach us through your servants. And Father, we thank you and we praise you. And I pray that once again the Lord Jesus Christ would be exalted. Uh, Father, that your word would go out to everyone, those that are with us online as well. We're thankful for that. Work in every heart. Two things you desire today, Lord, that those hearing your word that are not saved would trust Jesus Christ as their Savior and become born again. And Lord, that those who have done that already would grow in the likeness of your blessed Son. It's always those things that we hope and pray and labor towards, Father, looking to you to do by your Spirit, through your Word, and for the glory of your Son, the work that we can't do. Father, uh, we look for it, though. We long for it. And uh, help us to yield to you and see it, Father. And Lord, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. Amen. Amen. And uh, uh, it is wonderful uh, to worship to worship the Son. I'm looking forward to falling at His feet one day and seeing Him and worshiping Him in a way that I haven't been able to hear with the, with the separation that we have between us now at the time. But we can be filled with the Spirit, amen, and uh, living and serving Him. Uh, another one of those passage where, passages where we see the amazing grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in His heart for people and His heart for God at the same time. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. One of the things that we're not careful of if we become Christians after we get saved and God begins to change our lives is we can get a holier-than-thou attitude. And we forget that we didn't change anything God did. Uh, we forget that nothing was changed by our power. It was God's power. And uh, He's the one we brag on. Uh, we, are to have, we are to boast on God. Amen. We are to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we forget sometimes. And sometimes our flesh will take over. And we'll think that there's something about us apart from Christ that is lifts us above someone else that's never the case <laughs> that's never the case and so uh, we look at this uh, message this morning and the uh, message is entitled fighting the Pharisee within fighting the Pharisee within our old flesh may tend to drive us to that and we'll learn some things uh, today uh, that, will, that will keep us uh, from that uh, the, the scribes and Pharisees had railroaded this woman into the temple uh, to discredit Jesus in some way. He had a reputation uh, for his mercy and for his grace. And so they're going to drag one into the temple that they know by the word of God deserves death. And let's see what this merciful Savior will do. 
They're trying to get him crossways with the people. He's very popular with the crowds. He just fed the 5,000 and had done so many miracles, and they're very, very jealous. And they're trying to get him crossways with, 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 with the crowd. They bring this woman in. Well, first of all, uh, we see they failed, and they were exposed before all. And if believers, if we're not careful, we can develop a, fair, a pharisaical spirit, which is in opposition to the cause of Christ. And we certainly don't want to do that. First of all, we see, uh, number one, every believer must fight the Pharisee within by guarding against, number one, a spirit of criticism. Number one, a spirit of criticism. Uh, verse 6 says, uh, they said, this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. You see, they only wanted to criticize him for something. Uh, that, that was their goal. And we need to be careful as believers not to have a spirit of criticism. Uh, we know that uh, believers don't always agree on everything in the Bible. And, uh, and we need to be uh, right on the things that are clear and important and right on all the things as, as far as we know. But there are some things that allow for different viewpoints among believers even. And I appreciate uh, the grace with which that is shared from this pulpit up here. That's a blessing. And, uh, you know, we're not going to criticize the church down the road from us because they have more people coming than we do, perhaps, you know. Well, they must be, they must, uh, they must have incorporated some ungodly music or, or you know, they, they must be worldly to have so many people come. It may not be the case. <laughs> you know, there's some real big churches that are preaching the Bible and real faithful to it. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, and thank God for that. We have to be careful about a spirit, about a, a spirit of criticism. Those leaders there in, in Jerusalem, those scribes and Pharisees, the Sanhedrin and such, and no doubt others, they, they wanted that glory. They wanted that power. They were, became envious of the crowds gathering around Jesus and following him. Especially because on multiple occasions he spoke openly against them and how they weren't living what they preached he uh, spoke things contrary to what they were teaching because they had forsaken the teaching of the actual law and were teaching really only their interpretations of it many of them were wrong he was getting them straightened out so he's becoming very unpopular with them. But very popular with those who are what? Seeking the truth and wanting to know it. His fame had increased. Uh, the Bible says in, uh, in Luke 20, uh, you know, they, they wanted to shut him up in so many ways. And, and the, the Bible says the chief priests and scribes at the same hour sought to lay hands on him and they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. There were multiple times when they just wanted to take him away and beat him or do whatever they could. The law would allow them to do to, to him. And the only reason they didn't was because they felt they'd get hurt. <laughs> well, if we do this, we're going to have to start ducking because we're liable to be stoned. 
That's the only thing that kept him from it, uh, it seems, multiple times. This is how envious they were of him. How much uh, you know, they were seeking their own glory. Uh, Pilate, matter of fact, when Jesus was delivered to him, Pilate knew that. Uh, he, he knew how the, he, he says that uh, he, he says uh, uh, in, in, in Mark 15 9 um, Pilate says uh, uh, he says uh, in Mark 15 9 will ye, will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews for he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy <laughs> he knew why they delivered him it was for envy and why it was because they loved the praise of men uh, more than the praise of God. All their works they do, Matthew 23, 5, for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the, the borders of their garments. The phylacteries was uh, that, that thing they'd put, I believe, on their forehead that with the scriptures in it and the borders of their garments. Remember, the Hebrews would have that, that blue border on their garment and that was a sign that they were remembering the commandments of God. Well, the Pharisees would enlarge theirs. Look how much I'm remembering the commandments of God. You know, the big, big old blue borders on their garments going, to, going, you know, going down the street. All their works they do for to be seen of men. Wow, that's a railing accusation. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. What a sad thing. What a sad thing. Uh, John 12, 43. They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Very simply put. You know, if we do things for the praise of men, then you got your reward. When the men clap and the, and the people say, that's wonderful, you're great, and that's what you're doing it for, guess what, that's all you get. <laughs> but when we're doing it, what, for God's glory, and to lift up the Son, trusting in Him, that's when those rewards that Brother Chris was talking about, that's how we get rewarded, amen? When we hold Jesus up, hold God's Word up, and exalt Him. And, uh, and we need to be careful that we don't develop a critical, a critical spirit. That our Pharisee within us can be moved uh, uh, to that in the, in the flesh. Uh, a list of, is mentioned of people serving in the church and, and our name's not in there. And all of a sudden we get envious about those that were mentioned. you know. And uh, a critical spirit develops. Well, if you handle that rightly, you likely have a greater reward than some of those that got their name mentioned. Amen. <laughs> That's an opportunity, actually, for a greater reward in heaven if you get missed in pray, uh, with pray, by praise here on the earth. That's an opportunity uh, to, to add to your reward in heaven. Amen. You handle that right. But we have to be careful about that. Uh, in... Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, the scripture lists seven things which the Lord hates. I'm just going to mention the first one and the last one. A proud look, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. And those things can be involved in this thing of, of developing a critical spirit. Uh, we need to be guarding against that, 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 that critical spirit. Secondly, Every believer must fight the Pharisee within by guarding against a spirit of condemnation. They said in verse 5, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? 
See, the Pharisees were, were not concerned about righteousness, but they wanted to accuse Jesus. They were just trying to knock him down a few pegs in his fame. I like what Merrill Tenney wrote about this uh, John 8, 5, this, uh, this uh, challenge put before the Lord. Merrill Tenney writes, Their main desire was to trap Jesus, not to purge Jerusalem of its moral evils. Had they desired sincerely to abolish the immoralities of the city, they would have begun with themselves. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. A spirit of condemnation. How telling it is how they referred to her. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such ones like that should be condemned. Such should be condemned. Well, you know, I was a such. Amen. And by the way, we all were, amen, before we got born again. They referred to her as such. Those that are not like us. Look what we caught. It's obviously what, obvious what she is. Worthy of condemnation. We're all worthy of condemnation. They judge this woman to be a lesser being than them, than them because of her particular sin. Blinded by jealousy and envy, they, they were compelled to criticize and condemn Jesus. They pulled this woman from the very act of adultery. They railroaded her into the temple. They thrust her into the midst of those assembled. They declared her sin before all. They demanded her death. Not one where was spoken of salvaging her, sinner though she was. They showed total disregard for the humanity of this woman. You think about this. The whole thing smacks of a setup. How did they catch her in this? Uh, in the very act. And by the way, where's the man? Leviticus 20.10 the man that committed adultery with another man's wife, even he that committed adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. Where's he at? Either they blatantly sinned in not dragging him along as well, or they were blindly ignorant of the very scripture they were trying to use to condemn this woman. Or they were purposely ignorant. <laughs> and the whole thing was a trap. And a setup. Uh, was the man in on it? See, they declared themselves judge, jury, and prosecution, and they wanted to appoint Jesus as the executioner. <laughs> That's what they wanted to do. See, the Pharisee, we're not careful. The Pharisee within can harbor a spirit of condemnation. 
<laughs> well, a person like that sure deserves to go to hell. Yeah, so did I. And so do you. <laughs> we all do for, for our sin. God sent not his son, what, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Yes, I know sin needs to be addressed. But I, when I share the gospel with somebody, you share the gospel with somebody, we don't have to know their specific sins. The Holy Spirit takes care of that. <laughs> doesn't matter what sins you have. Any sin will send you to hell if it's not forgiven by Jesus Christ. And by the way, once you're forgiven by Jesus Christ, they're all forgiven. Amen. And you get a home in heaven. <laughs> Judge not that ye, and ye, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. And here's the idea of our putting ourselves up as the judge, jury, and executioner. It's not talking about discerning right from wrong and declaring sin, uh, declaring what is sin. We're supposed to do that. We're commanded to judge all things. But these were trying to play judge, jury, and executioner. <laughs> Uh, and we need not be doing that uh, as believers. Every believer, thirdly, every believer, thirdly, <clears throat> must fight the fairies within by, regarding, by guarding against a spirit of convenience. A spirit of convenience. Verse 6. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. They were using the word of God and they were using this woman. What were they using them for? For what they wanted to accomplish. They already had an end goal in mind. We want to get Jesus in trouble, in trouble with the crowds. So we're going to use this scripture and this woman. We're going to bring them together before Jesus and we'll get what we want. They're using what? the word of God and people for their convenience. You see. When, for what's convenient for them. Uh, what, what a sad thing. They were only interested in how other people and the word of God could benefit them and their purposes. Uh, we can be like that today even as believers, can't we? If we're not careful. <laughs> what's the church got for me? What's the body of Christ got for me? Well, how about how can I serve the body of Christ myself? What can I give in, in the ministry? And we have to be careful about that spirit of, uh, 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 of convenience. Spirit of convenience. The Apostle Paul uh, shared how they were careful uh, to, uh, uh, in using the word of God. Uh, we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, 2 Corinthians 4.2. Not walking in craftiness, not handling the word of God deceitfully. I like what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12.14 and following. He has been rebuking them for some sin in the church and some are questioning his motives and such. And he reminds them of his ministry with them. And 
points them also to the word of God and how God has used them. And, and Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 14, Behold, the third time I, uh, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. Did you get that? I'm not after what you got. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know the joy that I know. That's, what Paul, that's all Paul wanted. He wanted people to be saved and to know Jesus Christ. He wasn't after their money. He wasn't after fame to be exalted by them. He wasn't after any earthly pleasures he may get from them. He says, I seek not yours but you. But you. And you know, only Jesus Christ can give us that motive and help us to maintain that motive. Amen. Without a daily walk with him, we'll fall away from that motive quickly. And we need to be careful about that. You need to be careful about that. That's why James wrote in James 1.27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You see, because in that call to their, the fatherless and widows could not re return anything. When you help them, you just help them. There's nothing they could do to repay you. Therefore, it was showing that pure motive uh, driven by the Lord uh, in serving those who could not return, in a sense, the favor. And God will move us as believers uh, 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 to do that. Guard against the spirit, a spirit of convenience. So in conclusion, how, how can I fight the Pharisee within? Number one, battle the spirit of criticism with the spirit of commitment. Battle the spirit of criticism with the spirit of commitment. We ask ourselves, well, while the Pharisees were doing what they were doing, <laughs> to go get this woman and everything, what was Jesus doing? Well, verse 1, he went out into the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. <laughs> Amazing. While the Pharisees were out witch hunting, perhaps, perhaps checking the trap that they'd set, <laughs> and seeing if they had the prey to bring back to the temple yet, while they were doing that, what was Jesus doing? He was out in the mount praying. He was out in the mount praying, Mount of Olives, no doubt with his disciples. And then he came back to the temple and was what? Teaching the word of God. You see, he was committed to the Father's work. And if we'll stay committed to the Father's work in that way in prayer and in the word of God, this will keep us from the Pharisee within. Uh, Christ was in the habit of prayer. The Mount of Olives was a special place for him. Interesting that 
the Pharisees didn't seem to know that he spent time there. Uh, in John 18.2, the Bible says, Judas also, which betrayed him, that's Jesus, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas was paid by these rulers and such to lead them to Christ in a place where they could capture him in the absence of the multitude. Being religious leaders, you think they might have known of that place? Or should they know of that place? <laughs> Did they ever escape there for earnest prayer and in solitude with God? Apparently not. You see, they hadn't crossed paths there with him. They probably hadn't made any trips there themselves, by the way. They had no use for private fervent prayer. All they did was what? For to be seen of men. They had no use for that kind of stuff. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 5, he says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues, and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret what? Shall reward thee openly. Now the Bible is not saying there's something wrong with public prayer. No, the Bible teaches about public prayer. That's a good thing. But if public prayer is all we do, we've got a serious problem. <laughs> because we ought to be in earnest private prayer a whole lot more than in public prayer. Christ came again into the temple. He was in the habit of, the, of these things. He came again into the temple. He, was, he was, uh, had the spirit of commitment. See, criticism divides. Commitment unites. The people came to hear Jesus. The Pharisees came to harass Jesus. Jesus came to the temple early and left late. The Pharisees came with their little charade after the, the message had already started and they left before he was finished. <laughs> Interesting. Unity, commitment. Ephesians 4.1 I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, Paul writes, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he goes on to talk about the unity that we have in the faith. This commitment. 
You see, Christ has called us what? All to get in the game. Not to keep score. <laughs> Just be involved. So many churches with the, the criticism that's going around and the, and the back and forth within, within the churches. You know why that is? Because people within the, in those churches aren't busy about what they're supposed to be doing. There's something for us all to do. Pray. Minister to a neighbor. Minister to a co-worker. So maybe it's some ministry in the church. Whatever it might be. There's something for us all to be doing. Many people are just idle. And then they get to talking. You've heard the, you know, the saying, idle hands are the devil's playground, you know. I remember out jogging uh, one day when I could still jog. Now my knees bother me. I can't do that anymore. But I remember jogging and there was this tree full of birds. I, I forget what kind they were. They were pretty big. Put it this way, I'm, when they flew, I'm glad they flew the other way. <laughs> and, uh, but as I'm jogging up the road, they were just, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you could barely hear it. It was, just, it was like that tree was screaming, all those birds chirping each other. Because they're all just sitting there on the branches doing nothing. And when I came up to that tree running and, you know, huffing and the steam coming, you know, they flew. And you know when they flew, the sound ended just like that. It was quiet. All you could hear was, and not very loud, just the wings, the rush of the wings as they flew in the other direction. And you know what? They all even flew the same way. <laughs> you see, when they took to flight, the chatter stopped. And when you and I are serving the Lord, we're not going to be criticizing others. You know, we're not going to be uh, sowing discord among the brethren. <laughs> we're going to be busy doing what we can do. And by the way, helping our brother and sister do what they can do. Uh, as, as God calls us, amen. Working together. Laborers together with God. Amen. That's what God's people are doing in His church that are faithful. Number one, battle the spirit of criticism with the spirit of commitment. Number two, battle the spirit of condemnation with the spirit of passion. Of compassion. Battle the spirit of condemnation with the spirit of compassion. Verse five, Moses in the law commanded us, such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? Verse 10, Jesus lifted up himself and saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You see, the Pharisees... They disregarded the very humanity of this woman. Jesus regarded and treated her as a human being made in the image of God. The Pharisees dragged this woman in, supposedly caught in the very act of adultery. She was likely disheveled and in disarray. While so many no, no doubt fastened their eyes upon her in her shameful state. 
Christ looked down to the ground, took his eyes off of her, looked, stooped down, looked down to the ground, and began writing. What would that do immediately in a crowd? What's he doing now? First of all, everybody, everybody's eyes are on her. Immediately, Jesus bends down and starts writing. His eyes turning away showed respect for her humanity. The situation she was in, it was grievous to him. The Pharisees, by their actions and attitudes, judged her worthy of condemnation. Christ refused to judge her and pointed his finger to the word of God. Pointed his finger to the word of God. By the way, what are we going to be judged by? The written word of God. Christ pointed his finger to the written word of God. You talk about preacher. Well, listen. He was God. And he wrote it. So whatever he wrote was the written word of God. And he wrote it with his finger, so he was pointing at the written word of God, even though we don't know what it was. We, this we know for sure. He was pointing his finger at the written word of God because he wrote it. That teaches us the truth. It's the word of God that's going to that, that's judge us. John 12, 47, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me, and receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. My word is going to do the judging. My word will do the judging. <laughs> he continued writing as they watched him, and verse 8, verse 7 says... So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> there have been many sermons preached on what did Jesus write? <laughs> uh, was it Leviticus 20.10 there? Of course, they didn't have the, uh, the addresses there, but did he refer to Leviticus 20.10 where they're supposed to bring the man to? Did he write that verse? Maybe he was writing their sins. Whole sermons had been preached in speculation of what he wrote. It really doesn't matter. The fact is, he wrote it. It's the word of God. And he was pointing to it. <laughs> And he showed what that mercy. And look, look what the Bible says. He lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now let's picture this. Now the word there, he lifted up himself, uh, could mean that he got up and such, but it could also mean that he just looked up. We know it means the first. Because uh, the, uh, the next verse says uh, in verse 11 of John, uh, I'm sorry, in, uh, let's see, 
They continue to ask him. Look, look, look at verse 8. And again he stooped down. So he had already stooped down once and began to write. And we lift himself up. We know because of verse 8, he also stood up. And then after saying that, what? Then again he stooped down. He stooped down and wrote on the ground, verse 8. They which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, began at the, at the eldest, and uh, even unto the last. Jesus was left alone, the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, and I'm going to gather that here he has stood up again. He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she, she, she said, What? No man, Lord. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. <clears throat> Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. <clears throat> Jesus treats her with compassion. <clears throat> John 20, 31. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, believing you might have life through his name. He was going to, he, he, he had forgiven her. He did not, he did not uh, condemn her. And finally, Battle spirit of convenience with a spirit of consecration. Well, let me <clears throat> let me just say this before I. Well, we'll use it here. Battle spirit of convenience with a spirit of, of consecration. He lifted up himself and saw none but the woman. Woman, where are those thine accusers? No man's condemned thee. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Think about the Pharisees. They found her in sin and called for her death. Jesus forgave her her sin and called for her devotion. That's what he did. You see, when I say battle the spirit of convenience with the spirit of consecration, I'm, I'm using that word synonymously with, with, uh, with sanctification. Consecration has the idea of being full, complete, finished. As Jesus uh, made the way of salvation, he consecrated that for us through the veil. He made it full and complete, finished way of salvation. It is through faith in him. But it has the idea, synonymously, of being set apart for God. You see, he did that all for God, by the way, and for you and me. He totally set aside himself apart to accomplish that. So he consecrated himself to do that. He completed it. He came to finish the work God had called him to do. And he did. He gave us a finished way of salvation. In Hebrews uh, 10, 17. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Uh, now where remission of these is. There is no more offering for sin. Having therefore brethren boldness to enter in. By the holiest, uh, by, into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, 
and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's interesting that Jesus stood up before her now. All the others had gone out. Their own consciences convicted them. And he said, he said, he said where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. But what did Jesus say? Neither do I condemn thee. But he had the right to. You see, none of them had the right to because they had their own sins. They had to leave the room because their conscience convicted them that because of their sin, they could not cast a stone. Jesus didn't have any sins. He could have cast the first stone. And by the way, the last. <laughs> but what did he say? I'm not excused by that first statement. Let him that is without sin uh, cast the first stone. Uh, that doesn't apply to me. But he stands up. So now she is standing what? She's standing before her judge. Before it was just all her accusers were really her equals. Though they thought they were better. But now she's standing before, his, before her judge. John 5.22 The Father judgeth no man, but hath committed what? All judgment unto the Son. In Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter preached, about, pre that, pre preached that. He says, uh, He commanded us to preach unto the people God did about Jesus, to testify that it is He, Jesus Christ, which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead, judge of the, of the living and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And Paul preached, God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men and that he hath raised him from the dead. God is going to judge all men by Jesus Christ. She stood before her judge. But here's the thing. At that point, her judge came to be her savior. He came to, he had consecrated himself. He came to take her sins and her condemnation upon himself. And that's where he was going. Where was he going with it? To the cross. And because he's the only one who did that, he's the only one that can say, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Or not. And if we'll trust in him to be our savior. Guess what? We can, our sins will be forgiven. And if we don't what? They will not. Because he's the only way. I am the way. The truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus gave it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He paid it all. If you don't accept his payment, where are you going to go? You can't get into heaven. 
The other eternal place uh, made for the devil and his angels wasn't made for people. It was made for the devil and his angels. The place called hell and, uh, uh, and uh, other uh, eternal abodes. We're going to talk about some in, in, uh, in, in the book of Jonah maybe a little bit. We'll get into that. But there's the lake of fire. Death and hell cast in the lake of fire. That's the end of all the lost. And the demons and the devil and all of them. God didn't make that for people. But he's righteous. He made it for a righteous reason. And those who uh, go there will be there righteously. Why? Because at one point in history, God consecrated his son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son came down from heaven and became a man. And at one point, he stood before this woman. And she believed. And he counted her faith. Just like he will yours and mine. For her forgiveness. And that's why Jesus said to her. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now see the thing is. Jesus had given it all for her. Now what does he say? Now you go give it all for me. I have poured out all my love for you. I have done it all for you. By the way, wasn't heaven a fine place without you and I there? Why did Jesus come to the earth? Because God wanted you and I there. And we wouldn't be there if he hadn't come to earth. That must be his love that sent him, amen? Jesus said, I've done that for you out of my love. Now I want you to go, what? And sin no more. I want you to go live for me. I want you to love me. And I want the goal of your life to be to always be pleasing me. Sin doesn't please the Lord. It grieves him. In whatever you do, I want you to be, I want you, now, now that I have forgiven you, and by the way, you can't, you don't have the power to do it until you trust Christ as your Savior, until you become a Christian. You can't live for God. The Holy Spirit comes in you when you trust Jesus as your Savior. Then you can live for God. And Jesus says, go and sin no more. Remember in 1 John chapter 2. These things write down to you that you sin not. But he'll still love us if you trusted him. He's forgiven us of all sins as far as heaven and hell goes. At the moment you trust him as Savior. If we mess up after we're saved, he doesn't kick us out of the family. No, he just, he just wants us to confess it and get, get, get the relationship right again. Get the communion right again. We're still children of God. Get right with your loving Savior and loving Heavenly Father. Just confess it and uh, turn, turn from it in your heart and move on. Trust God to help you. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. You see, uh, it was not how can I use Christ in his ministry. It's how can Christ in his ministry uh, use me. And that's where God, uh, uh, God uh, wants to bring us in serving him. Uh, and loving him. And you know when I look at Jesus. In his ministry with this woman. And so many others. How can we not be amazed. Amen. How can we not be among those who want to worship him. Love him. And by the way what. Be more like him. Amen. Uh, be more like him. And if we'll do that. Uh, we won't become. We won't let our flesh. Uh, make us a Pharisee within. 
keep a warm heart. Everybody who gets saved gets saved because of one reason. They, they realize their sinner is unworthy of heaven. They trust Jesus Christ to be their Savior. They believe that he's the Son of God. He died for their sins and rose again the third day. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They do that. They turn their heart from their sin. They repent. Repent ye and believe the gospel, the Bible says. And then they get saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, now shall be saved. And they get saved. And we understand that's for everybody. And then, thank God, we can live for God. And glorify Him. There are rewards in heaven. Brother Chris was talking about the, uh, that, that truth this morning. Uh, it's funny that God saves us by no good works of our own. Uh, not based upon anything we have done, will, are doing, or ever will do. Our salvation is totally based upon what Jesus Christ did for us. Period. End of story. Push your trust in that. After you're saved, he puts a spirit in you, and every good thing that changes in your life is changed by the spirit of God within you. We can't even take credit for that. We just let God work through us. And if we'll let God work through us, he will. And guess what he'll do when we get to heaven? He'll reward us. <laughs> Doesn't it make you feel kind of silly? Now, if you'll let me work through you, I'll give you a reward for it. Well, that sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? Uh, but what do we need to do? Just say no to our flesh. Fall on our face when that, those temptations come. Say, God, I can't do it. I need your Holy Spirit to, uh, to help me and give me strength to help me to walk. Help me not to yield to that temptation. Oh, you've already done it. God, I failed. Would you forgive me? Uh, help me not to do that again. I'm sorry, Lord. And go on, amen. That's a Christian life. Go on for his glory. And we will have, have the compassion toward others, uh, recognizing what we've received. Uh, we won't have to become like those who rejected him. And uh, why? Just because they're out for their own glory uh, and for their own pride, for their own uh, recognition. Uh, thank God he humbled himself and, and came here to save us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. The story of Christ, the old story, never gets tiring to hear. It never gets old to fathom upon and ponder how you could love us and do what you did for us through Jesus Christ, your Son. Father, what an amazing thing it is to be in a world that is so confused and so disturbed and so hopeless. And yet, because we know you, Heavenly Father, and we have your word and your spirit, we have so much wisdom about what life is about. We have salvation, uh, forgiveness of sins, sins through faith in your Son. We have a home in heaven. We have a reason to live, to tell other people about Jesus, to become more like him. God, we have you to provide all of our needs, to, to help us uh, fulfill your will for our lives, and nothing can keep us from that, Father, as we walk with you. We're so blessed to be your children, God. It's no wonder you told us, uh, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. We always have a reason to be rejoicing for what you've done for us and praising your name. And God, I pray you'd help us to do that. And along the way, God, we can reach out to someone who we realize that apart from, uh, that, that, that we are their equal apart from you. Uh, Father, before we trusted you, we were lost too. And maybe you would allow us, Father, uh, to reach out to someone, share with them Christ, 
and lead them to faith in Christ just through the simple sharing of the scriptures that they would trust you as well. And then, Father, see a wonderful change begin in their lives as well. Help us to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to finish our course with joy, even as the apostle Paul was determined to do with his. And, and Father, thereby to, uh, to be a blessing to others. And, Father, to bring glory to your name. And help us to be careful to thank you and praise you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.